it's only natural that we jump online when we've got any problem and it's the same with our pet and while there's some fantastic information online there's also no barrier to entry welcome to dog cancer answers where we help you help your dog with cancer here's your host james jacobson hi there Ever hear the phrase, just Google it? I'm sure you have. It's no surprise that you can find answers to complex questions through a simple Google search. However, it goes without saying that you can't trust everything you read on the internet. That certainly includes information related to our dog's health. While doing your research is always recommended, there are many things to be mindful of when seeking resources online and through social media. So today, we'll talk with Dr. Alex Avery, founder of a website called OurPetsHealth.com. But first, a big thank you, or mahalo as we say here in Hawaii, to today's sponsor, the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide by Damian Dressler and Susan Ettinger. It's considered the Bible of dog cancer, and you can get it wherever fine books are sold or online at DogCancerBook.com. Our guest today, Dr. Avery, is the resource that many dog lovers find when seeking answers to their most dire questions. So he is more than equipped to discuss the best ways that we can avoid information overload and also find a balance when seeking information, especially after your dog's cancer diagnosis, when you may be feeling the most overwhelmed and vulnerable. Dr. Alex Avery, Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here about you know what we're about to talk about. You are obviously not only in a different time zone, you have a very interesting story. You can tell from that accent that Alex is from the UK, but that's not where you live now. No. So I'm originally from the UK and went to vet school there, but yeah, currently in New Zealand. So the other side of the world, yeah, couldn't be different from a time zone point of view, but that's the wonder of tech that we can be chatting today. So I've been in New Zealand for 10 years on and off now. Yeah. So you're in a small community there in New Zealand. Yeah, fairly rural. It's a, a town of about 20,000 people, a very much farming community around us. So yes, very different from working in the cities and the big kind of urban areas that I was working in when I was in the UK, which brings different challenges as a veterinarian to try and provide the best care I can for my patients. You have a clientele who are all over the world thanks to social media. Talk a little bit about that. So as I've practiced longer and longer, the rise of Dr. Google, if you like, has really grown. So it's only natural that we jump online when we've got any problem and it's the same with our pet. And while there's some fantastic information online, there's some great information. I mean, you can learn absolutely anything about anything. There's also no barrier to entry. So there's an awful lot of personal opinion, people with very little experience passing themselves off as experts and sometimes being very confident in the information that they're delivering, which gives maybe a false sense of how much they actually know. And that can have some serious issues. Dive a little deeper, if you will, for me into what I guess we'll call the Dr. Google problem here, which is people going online and doing that. What are some of the impacts that this may have on our dogs? So the information that we get online, if we're getting the wrong information, that can have some significant impacts on our pet because as the owner, you may be put in a few different interventions that you know, you've read about have had an amazing, fantastic, miraculous cure for one particular individual and you're not getting the full benefit. So you're potentially giving a wrong treatment that may actually be very harmful in itself. We often think of a lot of these interventions as especially kind of our natural supplements and things like that as being harmless and worth a go, even if there's no benefit. But the the other problem that can happen is that the disease 
can progress the unknown disease because it may be that we've self-diagnosed by looking up a list of symptoms that your pet is showing. And that can delay the diagnosis of the problem. And that can actually get to a stage, and I've certainly seen this multiple times, where a pet's condition becomes so serious that the potential for that to be cured or successfully treated really drops, which obviously then has a massive impact on the welfare and the life of that animal going forward. And also it can have a big impact on people as the pet owner as well, because they can actually, on the other side of the story, be really worried that their pet is suffering from something very, very serious, when in fact it might be something fairly trivial with the course of antibiotics, for example, might be all that's needed to cure it. So they've gone through an awful lot of anxiety unnecessarily. But why do you suppose there are people who are producing content that basically exacerbates the problem. Well, there's a wonderful thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is where people have had experience and they have a little bit of knowledge. It's a case of you don't know what you don't know. And so you feel that because that's been my experience, I want to share that with the world and I want to help other people. And we've all done this. You know, you take a few classes in something and you think, oh, yeah, I'm getting the hang of this. I'm you know, going to be experts in no time at all. But then the more you learn, the, the more you realize, the less you know. Um, So I think in most cases, that's absolutely why it happens. The risks associated with diagnosing your pet based on a Google search seems pretty high. Why do you think people turn to the internet before seeking advice from their own veterinarian? Maybe different philosophies in how you feel your pet should be treated, maybe a distrust of the big pharma, big food companies. You know, that's something that we get a lot as a kind of more conventional And so there's a distrust there and maybe a breakdown of communication in the past as well with their vet or they've read some horror story online and that's really clouded what their opinion is and how they go forward. And I think there's also a a desire to paint things very much in black and white. So there's a right and a wrong. The reality is in our pet's care, very much like our own care, it's all different shades of grey. You know, certainly there are some things that are wrong to do and some things that are very much right to do. But in a lot of cases, there's a lot of things that may help, may not help, may contribute to different areas of a pet's life without directly influencing the illness per, per se, but will improve their quality of life. Well, what would you counsel people to do when they see the black and the white versus the grey? Clearly, you're advocating, you know, things are grey. Can you help reframe that in a way that is more palatable for people who have a dog with cancer? Yeah, there's lots of different shades of grey, which can then make any content that maybe expresses those shades of grey come across as uncertain and people are less drawn to that as well, because we like to know the answer. We like, you know, to be told what to do. So I think it's important to get information. I'm absolutely not suggesting that people don't jump online and don't jump on Google because that would be a complete waste of time because I do it as well and that we know with anything else. I think we need to be aware of our own biases. So if we're searching for how does homeopathy cure cancer, for example, you're going to get a whole load of information about that exact topic and you're going to come up with certain answers, but you're not going to get the other side of the story. So it's trying to go into anything with an open mind to find out different information from different sources so from veterinarians maybe from physiotherapists if you're talking about rehabilitation for you know post-surgery for example for a dog with cancer so just coming at it from a lot of different angles and being aware that a lot of the time there aren't definitive answers we're maybe making our best guess the problem is that with any studies that have been done they're also very low numbers a lot of the time in veterinary medicine so with cancer treatment i mean that's something that has grown and developed 
massively since I've been a, a vet in the last decade or so. But we still don't know all the answers and it's still very much a case of things are in development. So it's being aware of that. If you think you find something that's the truth and the best thing, then maybe try and look for something that disproves that or evidence against that, because that's a way of finding that balance. I think that's a potentially earth shattering perspective. If you find something online that like is very black, you may want to take the time to look for the converse of that or the thing that's really gray or white. Absolutely. And that's going to depend a little bit on the source of that information as well. I mean, that's a huge thing. If you're reading it in a published paper, a certified oncologist, you know, these guys are specialists in their field. They study a ridiculous length of time to get to where they are. They really do know what's going on as well as anybody can. Whereas if it's, you know, Joe blogs on your Facebook post saying, I gave my dog who had a lump that I think was this, this supplement, then, you know, that clearly carries a lot less weight than that other information. So having said that, there's also the danger of giving equal weight to different sides of the argument, which we need to avoid if we're getting you know, very different sources for that information. Any suggestions on how to hone one's discernment so that they just don't get into an apoplectic state of like, oh my God, there's so much information. I'll just go with, because I think there's real value to what we're talking about here, because there's the inclination where I could just go exclusively with what my vet who I've been seeing since my dog was a puppy and just follow that. Or no, there's something broader than that. There are different perspectives. There's different modalities. I just went to this vet because he was next to my dry cleaners and exploring, you know, through the miracle of the internet, all these different options, but any tips for discerning <laughs> when is enough or, or how to do it? So, well, I think you hint at the vet-client relationship, and that's so important. You don't want to be going, especially with a cancer diagnosis, you don't want to be seeing your vet for the first time when that diagnosis is delivered because your vet doesn't have an understanding of what your philosophy is for your dog, and you don't understand what their philosophy is. So that can cause problems or suboptimal care and communication and extra stress from the vet's point of view as well as from the owner's point of view. So I guess it depends on how your philosophies align to start with and how open your vet is to talking about different things that you may be interested in. There's a great website called trustortrash.com which runs through a few different bits and pieces about sources and strength of studies and all that kind of thing. So that can be quite a good you know, resource there. And it's just, I guess in a way, it's a case of practicing as well. You know, the more you do, the more you become aware of the different sources out there. But you're absolutely right. We don't want to get to a stage where we get decision paralysis because there is so much information out there and it can get to a stage where you really just don't know what to do. And so you do nothing. So, you know, that's where having your vet and, and my job as a vet is to help guide my client is not to make decisions for them, but it's to help guide them through the quagmire of pet care because it's complicated stuff and oncology and cancer care is very much up there in complexity. Absolutely. We're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about the challenges of treating cancer in New Zealand versus in the UK. We'll be right back after this. Today's episode of Dog Cancer Answers is brought to you by the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Full-spectrum treatments to optimize your dog's life quality and longevity by Dr. Damian Dressler and Dr. Susan Edinger, an oncologist in New York. And in a minute, I will tell you how to get their book at a discount. We hope that our discussion about treating and diagnosing your dog based on online research is encouraging you to be open yet cautious when seeking information to help your beloved puppy. 
Doctors Dressler and Ettinger wrote the Dog Cancer Survival Guide with exactly this in mind. They want you to have the best tools at your disposal for fighting your dog's cancer. As a dad to a dog with cancer, I can tell you that having this book on my shelf for reference is invaluable. The Dog Cancer Survival Guide is available wherever fine books are sold, both online and in physical bookstores, and you can help support this podcast by using a coupon code and getting the Dog Cancer Survival Guide right away direct from the publisher. It's available either in paperback book, and there is free shipping anywhere in the United States, or as an ebook, and the ebook is under $10. The website to get the paperback or the ebook is www.dogcancerbook.com. And you can save 10% if you use the promo code PODCAST when you check out. You can save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST for 10% off. That is www.dogcancerbook.com. And we're back with Dr. Alex Avery. Alex, as we touched on earlier, you're in a small town in New Zealand, but you were trained in the UK. How is dog cancer different in terms of its treatment in your community versus in England? We're in a small community. Also, New Zealand is split into two islands. I'm on the South Island, which is beautiful, but not many people live here, which is one of the appeals. But it does mean that we don't actually have any medical specialists, let alone oncologists on the island. So that means that we're, referral is pretty much out of the question. There's very few people who would jump on a plane or drive drive and get to ferry. So I guess the majority of cancers that we see will be kind of skin masses and things like that. And so we're perfectly capable of removing those, which is, I guess, what a lot of people are happy to do. For our more insidious cancers, for our lymphomas, which is obviously a very common one, and various other systemic cancers, we are a little bit more limited. So we will provide chemotherapy ourselves. The chemo that you use, is that oral chemo or is that injectable or both? Um, it, more often it will be oral just from a cost and ease point of view and what our clients go for, but we will certainly do injectable chemotherapy. It's not something that we do on a very frequent basis because most clients either not wanting their pet to go through that, which is absolutely fine or, or butt up against kind of financial limitations as well. A veterinary care can become very costly, especially after a diagnosis. Do many of your clients have insurance for their dogs or are there other financial constraints particular to New Zealand that you've noticed? We have a lack of insurance uptake in New Zealand, certainly compared to the UK, where my clients, about 60% were insured. That's not the case here. That's slowly becoming more common and people are more open to the idea of insurance, certainly than they were a decade ago. But it does mean that finances often become a limit because unfortunately, chemotherapy or any advanced cancer treatment, advanced surgery, it does start to add up very quickly. And that can become a limit to what we're able to provide for our patients. The flip side is, is that I think there's a lot of push for specialist care in a lot of different parts of veterinary medicine. So from surgery to medicine, imaging and oncology, it means that the general practitioner in some parts of the world, they're actually almost losing skills because their clients are being referred and that's not a bad thing for the patient, but they're being referred for conditions and for procedures that could very well be done in a primary care setting. So from my point of view, I guess I'm lucky to have graduated in a time when we were doing that to start with and referrals weren't quite so common. So, you know, we're pretty comfortable as a team where we are to provide whatever care our patients need if our clients are able to do that. 
Let's take a turn here and talk a little bit about prevention. I imagine that you have a lot of people who've gone through dog cancer who are curious, okay, how do I prevent this with my next dog? So I think preventative medicine is is not a very sexy topic. It's not something that, you know, we spend a lot of time doing continuous education about, and it's not the big headline topics that you might read. And in a lot of cases, it's actually very simple. What are some of the issues that could lead to cancer that are, you know, big topics in the vet world that we as dog lovers may want to pay attention to? So, you know, weight is a huge one. Fat. I know you've had Dr. Ernie Ward kind of waxing lyrical on the podcast a few episodes ago, and obesity is a huge problem. And it's something that I'm very passionate about because it affects so many of our patients. But fat is pro inflammatory, it releases all kinds of hormones. And the impact of that is huge from a, a cancer point of view, potentially, but also arthritis and diabetes and everything else. Dental disease is another one. Again, it's very common. It's very pro inflammatory, it affects the rest of the body, it affects quality of life hugely. The other big one, I guess, and we often don't think about it when it comes to cancer as such, and especially at the moment, there's a lot of pushback against spay neuter, but certainly from a spaying point of view in dogs, massively reduces the risk of mammary cancer, which is a hugely common tumor that can be very nasty, very aggressive in entire female dogs. But if we're neutering spaying at an early age, and that age is maybe up for discussion, certainly in a bigger dog, you want them to be a little bit older, certainly your Rottweilers maybe for um, osteosarcoma. If you're actually spaying them before a year of age, then you increase their risk from one in 10 to one in four. So, you know, there's nuances to these things. I guess it goes back to what we were talking about before, about things being black and white. It used to be black and white. You'd spay your dog at six months of age. No questions asked. That's what we did. The nuance is that certainly in Rottweilers, we want to be doing it later. In other big breed dogs, we may want to be doing it later as well for a number of different reasons. But I think if we're thinking of cancer, if we're doing it before their third season, which is actually when they're quite old, there's a huge reduction in that risk. And then just general other you know, preventative healthcare. So, you know, looking after your pet, making sure they're as healthy as they can be, vaccinations, controlling parasites, reducing their other disease, just staying on top of other conditions as well. And then not so much prevention, but optimizing your chance of a successful outcome, if that's at all possible. If cancer does strike, it's jumping in early with the first signs of any problem and not sitting and worrying or not sitting and trying to self-diagnose and self-treat because that could yeah, have serious implications on future success. You say that some of this prevention is not very sexy, but clearly it's important. Why do you think it is not taken more seriously? I think it's thought of as maybe quite simple, maybe. And we don't really appreciate the full impact that such simple changes could have you know if it's going to make a big difference it's got to be complicated right you know that's what maybe we think but actually it's the simple the small things that can really add up to make a massive impact also it might be that you don't actually recognize them as having an impact because they come on slowly they come on insidiously it's not easy to directly link kind of cause and effect and so yeah we don't appreciate the full impact that these potentially simple lifestyle changes ultimately could have when i look at your youtube channel which is very much aimed at dog lovers and pet lovers and then i look at which is the most popular youtube video you have almost ninety-four thousand views on how to stop your cat spaying everywhere well that i understand but like number two is poop eating <laughs> for dogs why do dogs eat their own poop how do you explain the popularity of like that so people have a problem that they can put their finger on and they want a quick solution to that problem and that's one of the difficulties with creating content is that to get in front of people 
to give them information that you think that will be beneficial to them, they need to know that they need to consume that information. And that can be really challenging because no one wants to be told, well, it might be that your pet's fat. Here's how to reduce their weight. You know, from an obesity point of view, there's a big lack of realization that an individual is actually overweight. We have our perception of normal skewed by the fact that so many are, unfortunately. So yeah, it's really challenging to get that message across because you have to kind of weave it in maybe with other topics so that people will read it because I've certainly done you know lots of videos on different topics that really just haven't picked up because people aren't searching for them and so they don't get seen. So it can be quite difficult to get that message across, certainly in an online forum, but as a veterinarian in practice as well, it's something that we preach in the consult room, our nursing team, hugely influential on preventative healthcare as well. So it's something that we do talk a lot about, or I certainly try and talk a lot about in the flesh as well. And that's really where the message hopefully gets hammered home. What's well, a great thing that so many veterinarians like yourself are creating content for the audiences so they can, uh, when they do go to Dr. Google, they can, uh, get more learned and uh, perhaps advice with a bit of gray all around it, because I think that's important to understand. It is important to understand. And I'd be the first person, and I've said it in various places as well, that well, come to my website, but go to other places as well, because I certainly don't have all the answers. And I think if any individual says they have all the answers, then yeah, maybe they're actually one to avoid because they're not recognizing what they don't know. That's great advice. Dr. Alex Avery, thank you so much. We will put uh, links to your various channels in the show notes for today's episode. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Today's show certainly reminded us that we all have unique factors that contribute to our health, and so do our dogs, which means that treatment and care aren't always one size fits all. We all know that. Therefore, it's really at our own risk when we accept one source, let's say an online forum, as fact. Remember that you will come across gray areas, so keep an open mind and check in with your vet on things that you discover so that you don't overwhelm yourself in the process. Like so many things these days, use discernment, ask probing questions, and check with your own veterinarian. I also really appreciated Dr. Avery's perspective and guidance on preventative care. Like brushing our teeth or maintaining a healthy diet, preventative care should be a part of our dog's lifestyles. While it's hard to see the benefits in real time, preventative care pays dividends. It's just that it prevents or slows down the bad stuff. Ah, those touchstones, they remind me to remind you that our veterinarians are on call at our listener line. If you have a question for a dog cancer vet, please call our listener line and record your question. We will pose it to one of our veterinary experts, and your question and the answer will appear on a future episode of Dog Cancer Answers. The telephone number to do this is 808 808- 868-3200 that is 808-868-3200 or visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com also if you like our show please rate us on apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen share us on social media we're on instagram and facebook and youtube please help spread the word about dog cancer answers because we want to help as many dog lovers as possible And your likes and shares and ratings really do help other dog lovers find us. Also, if you want to reach out to us, visit our website where we have tons of additional information to help you navigate dog cancer. The website 
dogcanceranswers.com. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor again, the Dog Cancer Survival Guide book by Dr. Damian Dressler and Dr. Sue Ettinger. The book is available wherever fine books are sold, both online and in physical bookstores. And remember, if you would like to help support this podcast, get the book today direct from the publisher, the website address, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code podcast when you check out for 10% off. That is www.dogcancerbook.com. Finally, I'd like to thank Dr. Alex Avery for being our guest today. You can reach him at his website, which is OurPetsHealth.com, OurPetsHealth.com. Until next time, I'm James Jacobson from all of us here at Dog Cancer Answers and Dog Podcast Network. I wish you and your dog a warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.